I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Brooker Mode podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Lara Kitchen. At just 14 years of age, she was diagnosed with alopecia, a condition where you lose the ability to produce hair. This played a big part in her mental health journey, struggling with anxiety and eating disorders, which took her to the hospital on multiple occasions, once putting her into a coma for a couple of days. Despite this, she has turned her life around for the better in the last year, finding self-love and a new sense of purpose. Expect to learn more about the struggles of alopecia, eating disorders, fear of judgment, building new relationships, getting out of victim mentality, finding self-love again, and much, much more. If you find any of this episode triggering or it makes you want to reach out for help, I have listed some places to reach out in the show notes. If you do love this episode, please rate the show five stars as it does make a difference. Well, it makes me smile at least. Thank you and enjoy. I didn't really know how to tell people it was happening. You've got to start living life. It's not going to last forever. If you've got something nice yeah. to say, say it. It's such a negative world. Why don't we start changing the way we talk? No, I've never been scared of dying. Talk judgment for curiosity. If you love yourself and the important people in your life love you, then that's all you really need. Tell me who you are without telling me your name, your age, your job, and anything about alopecia. Okay. So I went like, without my name? Yeah. Oh, sorry. D- difficult, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so I am 27. No, it can't say your age. Oh, no. Or your job. Oh, I'm a Leo. Yeah. Oh. I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> I am very big on my mental health and talking about mental health. I am a big advocate for it just because of things I've been through myself. And, um, yeah, so big into my family, my friends. Love everything about that. Very big on family and friends. Having a small group of friends but also a good group of friends. 
I think the reason I like asking that question is we usually say like tell um, tell us who you are without telling us your name, your age yeah. and what job you do because a lot of people define themselves by their job yes. and the things that they do and we're more about like who you are as a person. I think that's yeah. what should define you. I love that. So um, I was doing a bit of reading about alopecia because I didn't really know what it was. Yeah, not many people do actually. And too it's much so about rare. it. So um, tell us – you know, when you were first diagnosed and maybe tell us a bit more about it and for me to learn more. So basically I was 12, 13, so I was just starting year eight. I started to like, I was in the, sh- like you'd have a shower, wash your hair, everything like that. And then I would like get clumps of hair just fall out. So basically my hair fell out from bottom to top and alopecia is basically an autoimmune disease that attacks the hair follicles. So... When it's just so hard, like, it's just something that attacks the hair follicles, basically. Like, there's no explanation apart from it being autoimmune. And, yeah, like, my experience was just, like, everyone's different, basically. Like, you can either have your whole head fall out or just bits and bobs of your hair. So there's, like, universal. Yes, universal. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, And then there's other names for all the different types. So you can either have patches, you can have the whole hair, whole body, so like no arm hair, no eyebrows, which is basically what I've got. So I've only got like these are like tattooed eyebrows. Um, my eyelashes I don't have. Um, so yeah, basically my whole head is like completely bald. So it's just so odd. Like when I first like lost my hair, it was only my head. I still had my, like I had really nice eyebrows. That was like one yeah. of my big things that like, I was like, oh, not my eyebrows. Yeah. Like, I had the nicest eyebrows. And I was like, oh, did they have to go? Like wasn't too, like obviously I was fussed about my hair. Like that was pretty traumatic to actually go through, especially starting in high school. You're just like, why? Like at this time of life, it was just so rough. Like it was the first term of school. I was like, mm. and like, I didn't really deal with it. I think that's one of my big things that I, when I hear someone younger going through alopecia, I'm like, you've got to feel everything about it that you like emotionally are going through. Because for me, I bottled it up and I was like, I don't know what to feel. And I don't know how to process it. So when I left school and I had all that time in the world, I wasn't studying, like my friends went to study and I wasn't doing anything. I just wanted to take a gap year. And I just, my bottle exploded and my mental health just went everywhere. Like it was one of those things I just, I didn't know how to cope with any of the emotions I had, was going through with losing my hair. And so that's one of the big things when I hear someone going through hair loss with alopecia, I'm like, you've got to feel it all. Just let yourself feel it because if you don't, it will eventually come up. It, you might go through like some sort of event in life and it's just going to come straight back up and it's just going to explode and be. So it was harder after school than during yeah. school? Well, during school it was kind of where it was more seeing how other people reacted. So kids can be cruel at the end of the day. And like it, I went to a, like a smallish school so it kind of went through like the whole school that like she was like losing her hair and it wasn't really the comments, it was the looks that I would get. And sometimes like looks can say a hundred times more than things than a 
a word can say. Mm. And I think what hurt me the most was people thinking I was sick because people relate hair loss to being like cancer and all that sort of stuff. And that was my big thing. I was like, I am so healthy and it actually hurts to hear someone say something like that because you don't want to like, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's one of those things where you're like, I'm a really healthy person and I don't want you to think that I'm unwell because when someone's going through something like cancer, it's not nice like, and you don't want to be saying something so hurtful to either someone that's going through alopecia or maybe hiding that they are sick and going through something like that for at the, that point of time in their life. I so did you feel like you were constantly getting judged then just oh, by, the, by the looks? Yeah, looks, definitely the looks that I was getting. Um, and even when I first got my first wig, it was <laughs> like wigs aren't what they are like now. Yeah. So I went to a place in, uh, I can't even remember where it was, but this wig was, I look back at photos and it was the most horrendous thing that was, it was <laughs> like, it was so horrible. Um, and it was more the looks as well that I got when I, because I got it during the school holidays. So came back to school and I had a full head of hair. And then I think people were like, what's going on? Mm. Because she, she had like no hair when like a term ago, two weeks later, she's got all this hair. Like, where has it come from? And then it kind of came out that people would started talking that I was wearing a wig. So I was like, I didn't really want people to know. And I had this thing where if someone was talking to me, it would I would think they were looking to my hairline or at my hair. So And that put me off, like, wanting to socialise a lot. So I obviously, like, was, like, I had friends and everything like that in school. I had an amazing group of friends. And then I just kind of was isolating myself in my head, not outside, but like I didn't want to be around a lot of people because I didn't want to talk to people because it felt like they were looking at my hair and not actually looking at me, like eye contact wise, mm. and just feeling like people weren't looking at me for who I was. It was more them looking at me because, oh, she's just lost her hair. And like... Did that hurt, that, did that hurt you more than oh, the 100%. fact, you know, like... You wouldn't – so how hard was it then to embrace that side of you? If, like, people – especially the immaturity of younger people, they were yeah. looking at you differently and you started to withdraw yourself. So that's yeah. another big thing because, like, it's not that – you know, some people would still embrace you, but within your head you feel like they're judging you, so you sort yeah. of take yourself out of those situations. Yeah, so I – like, superficially, people will judge you for how you look. Mm. And that's just human nature. Human nature. And so when I lost my hair, I think it also took a lot of my womanlyhood as well. Because, like, hair is just such a big... And even for guys, hair is a big thing. But, like, for girls, like, you get to go get your hair done. It's such an amazing... Ex like, you get to go get your hair done. And then mm. get your hair cut. Like, get your hair dyed. The whole shebang. And for me, I lost that. And the whole, yeah, it was just, it's just such a weird, it's a weird thing to actually go through. Like, you don't think about, like, when you feel like sitting here thinking about it more now, it's hard, like, you don't really think about it at the time, like what you're going through, but I don't know how to can you that. Can you compare, like, how you felt about yourself before when you're, you, you know, like, because the things I've read about alopecia is that 
it's really unpredictable. So, yes. so it can onset at any age and then it can come and go. Yeah. But so you, you were, it happened to you at about 12. Yeah. And then, so I'm guessing you had a lot of still experiences before that time. So do you yeah. remember the differences in sort of like how you felt about yourself before and after? I was always a really anxious kid. So even before I lost my hair, I probably had a lot more confidence in myself. Even though I had anxiety through my childhood, I was 100% more confident than I was when I lost my hair. A lot of my confidence just completely diminished when I lost my hair. So it was just like one of those things where I was a confident enough kid, but when I lost my hair at 12, it just shattered it, like was completely. It, was there any really like, do you remember any really challenging times, like any times at school where people would say things or at home, like you, you ever have, you know, breakdowns and you, oh, you yeah. start to think like, why me? Like, yes. it, it's, you know, it's really, and honestly, I wouldn't blame you or anyone who, who has these things because it's, is unfair. It's just, yeah. but it can, you can only feel, and you can only, you know, feel that self pity for so long be, until yeah. it just becomes, you know, like this emotion that weighs you down. hundred percent. So I just remember like there was times where I'd look at myself in the mirror and be like, like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, and I would just be so upset the whole why me, why did like life choose me to lose my hair? Like, have I not, what have I done wrong? Like, I don't look good anymore. Like no one's going to love me because I don't look a certain way. I've got no hair. Like, and that's really hard, a hard emotion to deal with when you're, start thinking that no one's actually going to love me because I've got no hair. And again, it's superficial to think if someone doesn't, someone's going to look at me and be like, oh, yeah, she's got no hair. I don't want to be with her anymore. Or that's one of my big things when it comes to relationships now. So I'm like, do guys actually want to be with me or do they want to be with for how I look or me as a person? And if it comes out I've got no hair and they leave, I, it's on them at the end of the day. It's not on me. Like I'm a like I've. It's one of my th- things now where I've learnt that I'm a good person. I am. I've got all the love in the world to give. I'm kind. I'm generous. I like. I'm not boasting about myself. No, but like nothing wrong with that. Um, and my hair is such a superficial part of me. Um, and it's just not who I am. My hair isn't who I am. Mm. My alopecia isn't who I am. It doesn't define me as a person. That's one of the big things that I've had to deal with, that I am not my alopecia. Yeah. And then I'm not my mental health. I'm not my eating disorder. I am not, like, my bipolar. Like, it's I'm not any of those people. It's I am Lara. Did those diagnoses come after? Yeah. So one of my big things was I hid my eating disorder through high school. And I don't think I even knew that I had an eating disorder until it was diagnosed later on in life because I lost the control of what my body was doing to itself. So the only control I could think of was how my body looked. So I was like exercising, but... At the end of the day, I was a sporty person. I was doing dancing. I was doing athletics. I was doing volleyball. So it looked more that I was sporty than I was over-exercising and not eating. And there was 
comments, I guess, where people would be like, oh, you look a little bit thin. And I was like, oh, this is just me. I'm, I go to, I, like, I, I work out because I do all this sport. But there was moments at home I remember where I was doing the eating disorder parts, like, without going into detail, like, of, like, triggering or anything. But I was doing the eating disorder habits now that I know are eating disorder habits. And so there's parts of me that are always like, maybe if I got diagnosed with my eating disorder earlier on in life, I wouldn't have had to deal with it so extremely when I was 20, 21. Um, Because I spent six weeks in Charlie's on bed rest, nasal gastric tube. I was like, my pulse was so low that like I got rushed through emergency. My heart, I had to have an echo on my heart. I had tachycardia. It was like extreme to the extreme points of an eating disorder where it's kind of like she's nothing anymore because she's just been, she's just wasted away. Just from starving yourself? Yeah, basically. I was doing everything in my power to just become like nothing. Was it? Did you have, do you remember what you were thinking at the time? Like what you told yourself? I think it was like a lot. I know through high school, it was a lot of, I need to control this. I need to control what I'm going through to make myself feel good. And then later on in life, it was because it was so ingrained in my head from five years of high school, it was just it just became so much stronger. It was like, you're not good enough. You don't look like this anymore. You're just, it's so hard to explain an eating disorder. And Mm. like, because everyone is so different in their head and how they experience an eating disorder. But for me, it was very control-based. Do you you think because you, that, you know, you got diagnosed with alopecia? Yeah. Did it, and and because you couldn't control that, was that did that sort of motivate you? Did it give yeah. you that sense of control? Like it's yeah, sort of empowering? That was exactly what it was. I needed the control and that was the biggest, it felt empowering. It sounds crazy, but it was so empowering mm. to just have control over something again in my, how my, what my body was doing. And people were giving you compliments and sort of yeah, fu- people were like, fueling Oh, you it. look really good. And then even later in life, people were like, Oh, you're looking really good. And that's one of the biggest triggers mm. for anyone with an eating disorder, I think. When they when you tell someone you look really good, it goes into their head the complete opposite way. And it's so warped. It's ridiculous. In, in what sense? So you could, like, someone would tell me, oh, you look really good. And then that'll go in my head. I don't, what, some people do it differently. I don't know. But for me, it was like, oh, I don't look good enough. So I need to work harder to – it was my eating disorder. Like my eating disorder took over my life. I was like a walking, talking eating disorder. You wouldn't be talking to me. You would be talking to my eating disorder. That's how – I know my parents explained it a little bit to me because there was like nothing going through to Lara. It was a lot of you were talking to my eating disorder. My eating disorder was replying to you because it was so manipulative Uh, in getting – what I, what, what I, not what, it was, because it's still me. Yeah. But it's just, it's but really so hard to explain. it dominated your psyche. Yeah. Like, it just took over your mind. Yeah. Did it become then, like, a huge part of everything you experienced? Like, did you sort of just see, did you see the world differently? I always feel like 
your your headspace and is sort of like the filter that you see the world through. Yes. So if you have like a really good headspace, like you start seeing things more positively, even things like eating, right? Like it yeah. changes the way you see it. Yes. So when you talk about it, it defining you and is that how you mean? Like it was yeah. every time people were talking to you and it, anything involving food, was that sort of how it was internalized through that eating disorder? Yeah. So food was a really big negative thing for me. Like I didn't want to be around it. And the crazy part is that it was all I thought about. I didn't want to eat it, but it was all I thought about. Mm. So it did, it changed my perspective in on the world so much because when you are all you're thinking about is food, but you don't want to eat it. It's the most insane feeling because of every part of it. Like you're constantly thinking about food, but you won't touch it. Mm. You know, like it's ridiculous to think like cause saying it, it sounds so ridiculous, mm. but it's just one of those things where it's in your head all the time. You thinking about what am I going to do? Where am I going to like, am I going to exercise today? Am I going to like get my f- food in that people are seeing me eat, but I don't want to seem like I'm eating too much mm. because if someone sees me eating too much, they're going to think, oh, she's actually eating too much. Yeah. So it was, it's so, it's crazy to explain. It's like, we're saying it now. I still, I feel like I'm sounding a bit like insane, like speaking about my eating disorder now that I'm in a place where I'm recovered or in recovery. I like to think of it as being in recovery because you can be. It's a way of living. Yeah. It's like. You've got to live with it. Like, like I say this with, with healthy eating, like people like, um, like you don't want to be healthier. You want to be healthy. Like yes. it, it's, it's a, it's a doing word, isn't it? Yes. You know, it's not a, an end goal. Like you don't just achieve it and that's it. You know, it's a yeah. way of living. Is, is that how you sort of yeah, see it now? Exactly. So it's just one of those things that it might po- like, it's still in my head at the end of the day, but it's not something that controls my life anymore. Like it'll still come up in my head every now and then like, Oh, Maybe you shouldn't be eating so much. Maybe you should do this and that. But it's not there every day and it's not there to destroy me like it was because I've done, like, I've done hospitals. Like, I, and I've done mental health, like, I've done eating disorder, mental health hospitals, and I've also done the whole, I've done mental health in general for hospitals. I was in a revolving door uh, with hospitals for a long time because either it was my mental health or my eating disorder. And my eating disorder is one of those things now where it's not as huge for me as it was because I'm in recovery. Not I'm not recovered, but I am in recovery because I don't know if I'll ever feel like people do. They say you recover. But for me, it's one of those things where I feel like it's one of those things for me, I'm just going to have to live with yeah. because in recovery because of the trauma of losing my hair and the control that it brought me when I lost my hair. So there's still going to be that up and down with it. So have so how have things changed over the, 
know, last since those struggles. I don't know. So you're 27. Yes. So I don't know what sort of time frame that was but when did things sort of turn around and what were some big reasons for those turning points so last year I was this time last year actually I had my I was in hospital for my eating disorder again and something I don't know what clicked but I was like I can't do this anymore I don't want to be a revolving door mm. of hospitals and I am not feeling the love for myself that I should be feeling Sorry to interrupt this episode, but if you are looking to improve your mental clarity, I have the product for you. Drinking water is important, but often it's depleted of vital electrolytes, which are so essential for us to perform optimally. Coda electrolytes. I've been having them for over a year, and it's been an absolute game changer. I promise it will make a positive difference. Use the discount code BRUCOMODE for a 10% discount store-wide. I've linked their product in the show notes below. And back to Lara now. And I, it's hard to explain because, well, it's not really hard to explain, but I want a family one day. I want kids one day. And eating disorders take that away. No one, like, as harsh as it sounds, sticking with someone when they're going through an eating disorder is really hard. Like, it was hard on my family, I know that. And... I don't think a partner would want to see someone destroy themselves like that constantly. So as supportive as someone can be, it's really hard to watch someone go through that. And I wouldn't want to bring that on to children as well. So like my big thing is I want a family, I want a husband one day. And eating disorders also stop a lot of your bodily functions. You can completely be infertile from an eating disorder. I know from any eating disorder, really, and especially anorexia, um, it can make you completely infertile. So that was one of my big things as well, that I don't want to lose the opportunity to not have kids. And that's a really big thing for me because having a family is what I've always dreamed of. I've always wanted to be a mum. And to lose something like that would be really hard on me. So that's one of my big factors when it comes to recovering and being in recovery because I want that. And a lot of people do lose that. I have heard people losing that opportunity because of their eating disorder. Yeah. It's just one of my big factors that I don't want to lose. Do you, I guess when you're in, in like in society now, like, yeah. you know, interacting, all like all these interactions you have, do you feel, do you still feel any anxiety and like feel like people are judging you? Yeah. So I have, like, I've anxiety has been a big part of my life. And it wasn't until I was older that I had my first anxiety attack. So I was always anxious as a kid. Like, my mum had to take me to my class till I was, like, up until year seven. Like, it was, like, just primary school. But I was so anxious about leaving my mum that she would have to drop me at my door at school. And I would get so anxious about being at school. It was... I don't know why it was a big thing leaving my mum. And then as I got older, like high school, I was completely able to leave my mum. Like, obviously, you don't want your mum bringing you to high school. <laughs> like, um, But so anxiety is still a big part of my life. And I've just learned to kind of adjust to it. Yeah. So it's not – it doesn't bring me as much – things still do bring me, 
bring me anxiety, like starting a new job, but it's not to the point where I can't do it anymore. Yeah. So I've learned to definitely adjust to my anxiety compared to what it was. How do these experiences shape your perspective on life then? Because you've gone through a fair bit compared yeah. to, to most people. So how does it, you know, I guess people who go through trauma, it, it yeah. can really shift their perspective on life and yes. like the importance of little things. But I guess having not gone through anything like that, I just, I'm really intrigued as to like, has it had a massive effect on how you see the world? Yeah, it definitely has had a huge impact. So another, like I went through another big trauma when I was maybe like 20, 21. In, it would have been 2015. I, it was not only traumatic for me, but for my family. So I, at long story short, tried to take my own life. And I was in a coma for maybe three or four days. So that took... It, like it was a big impact on my life and my family's life. So that was a traumatic event to actually go through, wake up from. And that was probably my big turning point when it came to a traumatic event. I was like, I was given the second chance and I've got to take it. Because when someone gives you a second chance, whoever was looking out for me up there yeah. gave me that second chance and you view the world through a completely different set of eyes. So when I know when I woke up from my coma, I was really angry and that was something they told my parents I would be because you've lived through something you didn't want to wake up from. And I was just, they had to actually sedate me. So I would, cause I was that angry. And then I remember just going back to sleep. I don't, and then waking up in a normal ward, but it changes who you are as a person um, because you see things in, like, it took me a long time to get to the point where I saw after, like, after that event, where I saw the world more clearly, because, like, there were still times where I was like, I didn't want to wake up from that, and it, and again, it probably only took me till last year to realise that, yeah, like, life is actually really good. Life is, like, amazing. And you've got to take any opportunity you can to make the most of that life. Like, we're given one life at the end of the day. Mm. And when something like that happens to you and you're given the second chance, you got to fucking make the most of it. It's crazy. Like, you don't want to waste that. Mm. And I'm still big on, like, I haven't lived yet. Like, I haven't done the travelling I want to. But that's also because a lot of my early 20s were taken from my mental health. So the things people do in their early 20s, I'm doing now in my late 20s. So I'm going out with friends. I'm going to festivals. I go to things by myself. Like, And I'm not afraid to be one of those people that travels alone. Mm. So I'll do that. I'll go to a festival by myself. I went to Rufus by myself. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's crazy. Like yeah. it's one of those things where you just grow as a person, and you just learn to. Do you think going it. going outside your comfort zone yeah. has been massive? Massive. And how has going out of your comfort zone helped with your anxiety? Because I feel like the only way to overcome these things that are in our head is to just do them. Because then, well, there's we've done them. There's exactly. Exactly. 
So I remember my big first thing doing alone was Rufus. And I was like, I can't do this. I was the only one that got a ticket because they were on resale and I managed to get one somehow. I don't know. I was luck. And I was so anxious. I was like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I got, I think my mum actually dropped me off. I was like, I can do this. I walked in. Like, everyone's there with friends, so you're kind of like, I'm going by myself. But then once Rufus came on and I was in a crowd of people, I actually made friends, like, Mm. with people. Like, everyone's so friendly at a festival. And it's something like, everyone's happy at one of those events. And that was my big pivoting moment where I was like, I can actually do things by myself. I'm not now, like, I'm not afraid to do this anymore. Like, yeah, the anxiety might still be there but not as extreme. So now I'm like, actually, I could probably travel alone. Travelling alone is can probably a whole different ball game. but, like, I've gone down south by myself and stayed in backpackers, like, before COVID. Yeah. So, like, years and years ago now. And it was honestly an amazing experience. Like, I loved it. So I'm kind of now, like, maybe I'll go to start small, go to Bali, and then I really want to do Japan. And I do that by myself like I'm not afraid to do it by myself anymore it's one of those things where you do something once and it just changes yeah. everything about it is it hard to form new friendships yes <laughs> with my anxiety I guess in general? I guess with everything when you've had gone through a lot it, it, yeah. it, can, it can be hard to let people fully in and yes. because if you can't share all that eventually like you're not showing them your, your truth like every because yeah. that all has shaped who you are that's shaped 100%. so if you don't ever fully let them into that world then they're not going to fully be able to truly connect with you but it's really hard because yeah. you almost don't want to keep bringing up old scars because yeah. you're, you're trying to go forward exactly so how do you manage like letting people in without letting the past dominate the present so i think my thing now is i only have like a small group of friends like really good friends but letting people in me is really hard because like you said bringing up old stuff and like even people being like finding out that I haven't even got hair mm. is really scary for me still like I gained a lot of confidence maybe in mm, I don't know early before COVID so 2014 oh 19 19 sorry yeah. <laughs> 19, I was all Couple in years ago. yeah <laughs> um and I gained a lot of confidence. I was like posting without my wig. And then over the years, I've just lost the confidence again. It's just one of those things. So when someone finds out now that I haven't got hair, I'm like, "Mm, how do I feel about that? But then like if I'm out and I've had a couple of drinks, I'll be like, oh, guys, guess what? I've got no hair. Like Mm. it's my party trick. So like add a little bit of alcohol and a little bit of like liquid confidence, then I'm happy to share it. But when I'm completely like this like doing this is like also like a scary thing for me yeah. but I'm like obviously happy to share it because if I can help one person then I I'm a happy person like even if it doesn't help anyone I'm helping just, like, me right now yeah. so if already, <laughs> you're one person exactly you've already helped someone so I'll, <laughs> how do you keep how do you try and find or how have you changed your perspective and focus on the positives? I, I scroll through your TikToks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of positive stuff there. And, like, how do you – because I feel like um, – I feel like social media c- 
I want to know your experience with social media and what, yeah. what that's been like. Because it, it must be, I'm not going to say what for you. It must be hard though sometimes looking at people's lives and, and, and you're going through a struggle and you're like, oh, I just want to have that. Yes. But how has that changed and now you're able to connect with people who, because it actually, even with mental health struggles, but alopecia, that is actually quite prevalent. There's, there's more yeah. people affected by it than I realised. Yeah. Um, so how has the social media experience been like for you? So I know before, it was probably maybe even like when TikTok first started, I was posting, I started posting about my hair and like you'd get the negative comments and I was like, mm, like I don't know how I feel about them because it's like going back to high school mm. for me, seeing negative comments. I'm like, that actually hurts. Like, yeah, it's someone behind a keyboard, but it's still going to hurt. Yeah. Um, But changing my perspective on it is like someone must feel not really great about themselves if they're going to say something so horrible about someone else. Like if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It's one of my big things. So changing how and what I post as well and bringing a lot of positivity to life itself. Like I on my TikTok, I'm really big on like talking about, I don't know, just being like bringing light to negative events mm. like talking about and like i don't know how to explain it no i love it um so do you did you have comparison then like did you look at the other people's lives while you're in i guess i guess what, what was social media like you're 27 so yeah. was social media well for me it was a pretty big thing was it a big thing when you're going through high school we had myspace so so like <laughs> we were like I was like before Facebook before Instagram, mm. so we had MySpace and MSN. Yeah, <laughs> so That's, I remember that <laughs> when I was really like in primary school. Yeah, so it wasn't like photos of people yet. No, so you sort of glad. Or? Oh, so glad because I think if I was going through what I went through at twelve now, where I'm seeing the beauty standard so different Mm. it would have probably destroyed me a a whole lot more than it did what's the beauty standard like on social media i don't know it's just like you see filtered photos and people trying to make their lives and how they look so different to what they are and that's not something young girls should be looking up to it's just one of those things where you see celebrities do it and like they get all like they get work done, they get everything and they're filtering their photos so their skin doesn't look blemished and then like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just one of those things where it's not, like social media is an amazing thing mm. and it, people get like their livelihoods on social media, but there's so much negativity, negativity about it still mm. where people are, especially for young people going, like going onto social media and seeing that, they're like, oh, maybe I should look like this. Should I be getting work done? Should I be exercising more? When at the end of the day, it's kind of like, be you. Mm. Don't be someone you're not. It's very external, isn't it? Yes. So it's like very superficial when you yeah. think about it. Because with social media, it, especially with the celebrities, it creates this illusion of perfection. Yes. You know, a lot of these, the thing, especially with, I see it with men because I, I look at that. I see men like who are massive gym guys and it's like a lot of the time 
what, firstly, they're tra- a lot of them are training six, seven times a week, yep. and then they're also using steroids. And, yeah. and st- so it's, it's not only are they doing twice as much work, they're also doing non-natural stuff. And for yeah. women, the same thing with yeah. with um, Botox. Yeah, all the, like, all those sort of things. Yeah. So and then you know you start to compare yourself, and it's only natural to feel inadequate because exactly. you on the on the su- superficial external level they do look objectively good. So. Yeah. So, but what you look like on the outside isn't who you are on the inside. Exactly, and I'm sure you can relate to that with with eating disorder. Yeah. You know, like, so what what's that like then? Um, I guess learning to embrace not being, you know, totally like anorexic, and and I guess being able to find comfort within within that. Um. Sorry, I, I guess like <laughs> how have you been able to like how's your relationship with food changing? Uh, how are you able to sort of like embrace not wanting to chase this like um perfect body or just you know for that control that we we're talking about and like yeah. starving yourself and stuff like that how have you been able to sort of change your mindset to learn to have a healthier relationship with food and, and your body so it changed probably last year where I I don't even know what my f- ticking, my flipping, whatever you want to call it, flipping point was. Um, but I was like, you know what? I actually have to eat to feel good. Like food, like you get hangry. Like <laughs> no one wants to be hangry. Yeah. And um, so changing my relationship with food was, it was hard because I would cry over every meal. I didn't even want to be around food. So changing it was really hard, but... Once I did it, it was the most amazing thing I've ever done because now I can't go without food. And I also, like, I'm not exercising. Like, I obviously, I go, to, like, I go to the gym and I go to a really good gym and I absolutely love it. But I am not running like I used to. Like, I used to just run and run and run, like, kilometres to exercise and that was all I was doing. But now I'm doing, I'm doing weights. I'm doing more weights than I am actually doing running and that's probably a huge point for me where feeling strong is 10 times better than being in bed because i don't have the motive i don't have the energy to actually get up because i was not fueling my body i was running i wasn't even drinking water at one point like nothing was going in but i was still running so that was really my big thing now is that if i feel my body I can do what I want to do in life. Mm. And I think that's kind of what changed and how I look at it now. Because if I want to go traveling, I have to I have to have energy. If I want to go to the gym, I've got to have energy. So energy, fuel is food. Food is fuel? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Either way. Um, and it's just one of those things where if I want to do stuff, I actually have to have energy. And that was just a huge turning point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And not for anyone else, but for me. For a long time, I was in like recovering for every and anyone else around me. But now I'm in this recovery thing for me because at the end of the day, I live in my own body. I have to be the one that I'm recovering for. I can't recover for my mom. I can't recover for my dad. I can't recover for my brother. I can't recover for friends. 
So have you had that mindset before? Where yeah. where you've wanted to do it for other people, but does it yeah. only last so it long? It only lasts a month. Not even a month. I remember coming out of Charlie's after that six weeks on bed rest, nasogastric, like everything. I was pleading with the doctors to let me out because it was my brother's 18th birthday. And I was like, that'll get me out of hospital. And so I was like, I need to get out. And then I was back in hospital two months later. So I was doing it for all these reasons. And I was like manipulating the situation. I was doing just everything and anything to not be recovering for me. And now that I'm recovering for me, that's had a huge impact as well on how I look at food and how I look at exercise and just everything about it. Was it was it anything to do with the fact that you didn't feel worthy, like to do it for yourself? Because yeah. because you weren't feeling good about yourself. And sometimes if you don't feel worthy as a person, sometimes you don't feel like you're worth getting better and improving yourself but you feel like you know you want to do it for the people around you because you see them in such a positive light Mm. but you almost feel like well I can't really do it for me because like look at the situation I'm in I'm clearly not worthwhile yeah did you change that perspective and say you know I'm still so worthy as a human I deserve to you know treat myself well yeah definitely and also one of my big things was putting my my worth into other people so my worth was nothing to me for a long time because of how I saw myself, because of my alopecia, because of just all my mental health. I just didn't see myself as a worthy person, like you were saying. So I was putting my worth into like relationships. And when that relationship would die, it destroyed me completely because my worth was gone again. And then this also changed last year. A lot of my pivoting points happened this time last year. Yeah. So I was just like, I don't actually care anymore how people see me. And I was like, and then it was one of those things where I was like, you know what? I've actually got to love myself. Mm. If I can't love myself, who is going to love me completely and fully? It's like one of those things where, you know, the whole, you can't love yourself until someone loves you. Mm. I mean, no. So, yeah, someone, you know the saying. Yeah, exactly. Someone can't yeah. love you until you love yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. the saying. Um, so I was like, I've got to actually take the time to focus on me. And I did. I probably didn't do the whole going to a psychologist like I should have. But I did a lot of work mentally by myself. What would you do? I would take myself to the beach. I would... My big thing is like sitting at the beach. Silence, but yeah, completely silent. So I'll sit there. I remember this one time I just sat there and cried. Like obviously I went to a beach, no one was around. Yeah. But I just sat there and cried. And it was just one of those things where you just you let yourself I let myself actually feel every emotion that I was feeling for the first time in years. And I don't think I've actually told anyone that I just go to the beach and cry. <laughs> like it's just one of my things that I sometimes do because like it's not that I'm embarrassed to show my emotions to people it's like I'll cry at anything I'll cry at a movie <laughs> like <laughs> but when it comes to my own emotions and how I see myself how others see me I'm just like I don't want people to see that emotion because do you 
You don't want to be weak? Yeah, it's a weakness thing for me. And I, like, pride as Mm. well. So a lot of my pride, which sounds ridiculous, is, is, I don't know how to explain it, but... Well, you talked about bottling up emotions. So I guess, how has that changed then? And why do you think that's so bad for us, just to let these things build up inside, like, push things to the side and not... a, A lot of us don't truly feel the emotion we, yeah. we, we want to distract ourselves but why is it so beneficial to truly feel that emotion because like from like from my experiences bottling up your emotions is, it's not good because you've just got to let yourself feel like it's not a bad thing to be an emotional person it's not a bad thing to be a vulnerable person and I've learned that over the years that people actually appreciate vulnerability and I think that's one of my big things about share. Like, I think I share more on my TikTok than I do on my Instagram about life. And that's just because TikTok is one of those things where you can just write mm. and like people like relate to it. Yeah. And so I think sharing my vulnerability is a big thing, especially like social media. If someone's seeing, oh, this person is feeling this or has gone through this, Maybe it's actually okay for me to be feeling like this as well about relationships, life, anything really. And I think just being vulnerable, open, everything, it's just, it's not, it's like so much better. Have you, have you been able to have these conversations with the people, or like the people close to you? Because a big thing I've been thinking is yeah. there's a lot of people who are really good at sharing online, like when yeah. it's an- anonymous. Yeah. But we really struggle to communicate these things to the, the, the loved ones closest to us because it's yeah. almost like we're scared of what they're going to, what they're going to think. Yeah. So I've only like kind of recently become more open with like my fam, like my mum and my dad about how I feel. And I remember probably maybe like not even six months ago, I had my first panic attack in years. And they were like, you realise how far you've come, right? And I'm like, no. And they're like, no. Like, you've come so far in seven years. And like, and then I was like, actually, yeah. And then we, like, we had that conversation of, you're actually doing a lot better than you think you are. And I was like, you know what? you know, I am. And having that conversation with my parents that night, I was like, maybe I should be more open with my friends and family because it's not one of those things that you should be hiding from them because they're your friends, they're your family, they love you. Mm. And it's just, you shouldn't have to feel like not, you can't share that sort of stuff with them. And I think that was a big thing for me in the last six months that I've realised that it's actually not a bad thing to share how you're feeling because, like, yeah, like you said, you can share it on, ins- like, Instagram, TikTok, and people might be able to relate to it. But if you're not sharing it with your friends and your family, that does make it a lot harder because mm. you might be writing it down on TikTok and, like, talking about it on TikTok. But when you put it into practice, like, for me, it's a really big hu- thing – big thing to put into practice because as easy as it is to write about it 
talking to someone about it is a completely different story because you've actually got to verbally talk about it mm. and then you're going to feel the emotions that you're feeling when it comes to that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, you're, you're letting someone in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's 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 vulnerability to a yes. T. You're, you're showing who you truly are. You're yeah. allowing them to see, you know, transparently who you are. So it is, you know, a difficult thing. And that's why a lot of people struggle to do it. Um, what what are some things that make you happy? What what do you focus your time and energy on now to, you know, you, th- you said things have taken a huge turning point. Yeah. So what are... What are some ways that um, – or what are some things you're, you're doing now that have really helped you? So definitely cutting off people that were negative in my life. I did that and that changed a lot. Um, I go to the beach a lot and that's like my happy place. If anything's going wrong in life, I'll take myself down to the beach. It can be any time of the day and I'll be there because it's somewhere that I feel safe, I feel happy, and that's one of my big things. And then also like just the gym. I love the gym. I'm just it makes me feel good. Mm. Makes me feel empowered because I'm actually able to move. Like I've never like when I was going through my eating disorder, I couldn't do that. So there's a lot of things now that I look at where I'm like, I can do this. I'm happy. I am probably the happiest I've been in ten years. And that's a big thing for me to like say out loud because when you say it out loud, it's kind of like you know what, I am actually doing a lot better than I was. Because if I look back to the girl that didn't actually want to be here anymore, she would be, I don't even know how to explain it, she would be so proud that she made it to 27. Because you're not thinking you want to make it to 27 is a hard thing to feel. Because you don't want to be here and I know I've kind of gone off topic. That's all right. Asked. Yeah, it's fine. But um, so yeah, just making myself proud, and just being in a place where I'm so much more happy. Is that a big thing when you do struggle? Like, you sort of do because you, you said before you're motivated to you know like have a family eventually, yeah. travel and stuff. So do you? Is that what motivates you to like do something that you'll be proud of? Yeah, definitely. So anything that makes me feel proud of myself, I'll do it. Like I'm just 100% all about making myself proud, especially because of the things I've been through and the girl that was so unhappy, I'd be making her so proud. And that's a big thing for me to like even say out loud, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be making her so proud and that's a big thing for me to be able to make not only me proud, my family proud and my friends proud because of how low life got at that point in time. Like I know, like my parents will say, oh, we're so proud of you. But like I'm proud of me for making myself proud and making everyone around me proud. It sounds weird. With all these like, you know, times where you did struggle was, I guess what people said, like the words people said, did was it really hard to internalise that and believe it? Yeah. Because I feel like when you're struggling like, and you ask for help or even if you don't, like it's obvious you're struggling and, yeah. and people, you know, a lot of like there's a lot of – people say a lot of things, right? But I feel like 
when I if when I feel down, like people can say whatever they want. You're not yeah. you're not going to believe it. Change how you feel. So I guess w- what is what works then? What what are some of the main things that help? Or what what are some things that people around you have done to help you, so that maybe anyone listening can help people around them? I think not tiptoeing. People tiptoeing around me. It was my biggest thing. I couldn't stand anyone tiptoeing around me. I was like, just treat me like a human. I might be going through the shittest time right now. If you tiptoe around me, that's going to make me feel worse. I want you to be completely raw with me. I want you to be honest with me. I don't want you feeling like you have to treat me a certain way. So I think like not treating someone that's going through a mental health issue a different way or through alopecia or an eating disorder, not treating them differently because at the end of the day, they're going through something and that's really hard. And it's hard on the family, it's hard on friends, but just not tiptoeing is one of the biggest things. I know for me that was a big thing because I didn't want people treating me different. You didn't want what you were going through to affect other people? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah, I think so. So I think it was like if I'm going through this – I don't want others to feel what I'm feeling. So I think tiptoeing. I just I don't know why. Yeah, it was one no. of those big things that I was like, don't do it because it's just making me You don't want people to walk on eggshells egg around yeah. you. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Um with that ala is it alopecia or alopecia? alopecia. I call it alopecia. It's like tomato, tomato. Yeah, it's, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking. Um, although I did when I I didn't know how to say it um, when I was when you first sent a text, and I was like, yeah. and like I call I thought it was Ella Pecky. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I that's so funny. Um, I guess what is because you've gone through these like struggles. Yeah. What is the one that's most prominent in your mind? Like you still have this alopecia, so yeah, is that still like? more dominant in your mind when you I guess just being who you are is that still a more predominant struggle or do you more focus on the fact that you've come so far from the mental health struggles and that's more of a focus for you I think both of them are big things for me that I've overcome but definitely alopecia is something I've learned to deal with and I learned to deal with that maybe a few years ago so now it's more looking at my mental health and that's probably my biggest one. Is, that, is it because with alopecia it's more become self-acceptance because you yeah. can't change it? Yeah, it's like and I th- can't change. And you've looked at your mental health struggles and you've really seen how much you can improve it. Yeah. So now, like, I guess you have you feel that empower, empowerment from changing it, so. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, alopecia, like, you can, you can go see every dermatologist in the world. And at the end of the day, if it's not going to grow back, it's not going <laughs> to grow back sort of thing. Like they can inject stro- steroids into your head. That's one of the things they do. Or steroid creams. That was like where I drew the line. I was like, I don't want needles with steroids injected into my head. Like if it's not going to grow back, I've got to accept that. And I did at the end of the day. I have accepted that my hair's not going to grow back. But mental health is one of those things you're constantly working on. So it's like one of those things me like you work on it you work on it but you see how far you come and even with my alopecia I've seen how far I've come because have you connected with other people with alopecia yeah, yeah I have 
So do you, do you have any friend, friends with that or just like more like? Just like through social media. I have met uh, another girl who has alopecia because of, we go to the same wig company to get our wigs. So I met her maybe mm, before COVID, so maybe like four years ago now. And it was actually really empowering to meet someone else because mm. you feel like, actually, I'm not alone. Mm. And even social media, you see now on TikTok, like sometimes my algorithm comes <laughs> up with people with alopecia. I'm like, this is cool. Like, I'm actually not alone. And that's a really good feeling to know that you're not alone. And I think that's the most amazing part about TikTok, Instagram now, is that you are able to see people going through struggles and something like alopecia and feel like, actually, this isn't a me thing. It's like, it might only affect like 0.8% of the world or whatever the statistic is, but you're not alone. Mm. And that's a huge thing. To know you're not alone through a struggle is a really empowering feeling because for a long time, because social media wasn't a big thing, when I first lost my hair, it was one of those things where I just felt really isolated. I felt like I was alone. I was the only person going through it. But now I'm like, actually, this is really cool. I am not alone. It's cool that I, it's like, like sounds weird, but it's actually cool that I don't have hair. Mm. Like I get to put on a wig every day. Like change my hair up <laughs> like I've got like a red wig I've got like a brown wig like it's like I don't wear them like as much as I used to but like it's a cool feeling to be able to be like I actually don't have to dye my hair mm. I don't have to cut my hair and like people say I've got a good head to be bold which is, <laughs> nice, which is a nice compliment sometimes um so it's actually really empowering to have gone from a girl that absolutely despised how she looked because of her alopecia to someone that is actually now I'm proud of who I am. Like there's still times where I'm like, this sucks. But seeing I'm not alone is a huge thing. And like, I've learned so much from seeing people even with alopecia on TikTok, like these eyebrows, like <laughs> I've, they're like something you buy on Temu or whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Temu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and like you learn so much and just not being alone was a big thing for me. So when social media blew up, it was a big thing to see I wasn't alone. I guess that's the power of social media. We always, we look at it in such a negative light. Yeah. And I feel like it's just how you interact with it. Like, like most things in life, it's what you do with it. Exactly. Is there any other, you know, significant things that we haven't talked about that you think are worth exploring? Any things you've done with your mental health journey? Any, any things with your life or your story that you think are worth? Okay, this one time I did a... So my very first wig company that I was buying my wigs from, Freedom Couture, um, they did like a... It was like a video and it was only on Instagram, but it was me without my wig and then um, with makeup... No, then, so without my wig, and then they went to do like full glam, opposite way around actually. They went full glam to no alopate, to no hair. Yeah. So, and then it got posted, and this video went viral. Yeah. Like when I took, like, you like, you 
say you think viral, you think like only Australia. This went around the world. A couple million. Yeah, it like like I was on the the morning show. Yeah, <laughs> it was like like it went so viral. Do you have the video? Pardon? Do you have the video? I do actually. I'm keen to see it. Yeah, it's it's like it's a very empowering video. Yeah, and I think that's what brought a lot of people traction to my Instagram at the time um, because it was something where for others they were like, oh, I'm not alone. Mm. And I think that was the big thing for me that I at that time made people feel like they weren't alone because that was before TikTok. So videos, it wasn't even a reel. It was just like a, <laughs> it was literally like a video, like yeah. a post, like before reels, before TikTok. Yeah. So this was just a post. And it just blew up. And I never thought it would blow up the way it did. Like, when I was doing interviews, like, for people in Spain and, like, Paris, like... And where were you doing those interviews? They were, like, just typing ones. Oh, okay. for like For, like, news articles. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe even... I think there was something about Daily Mail as well. Yeah. It was wild. Like, I never thought it would blow up. And it did. And for me, that was a big thing that I was empowering other people at the time. I was that person that empowered people to be like, oh, I'm not alone. This person has alopecia. I've got alopecia. And she's actually doing pretty well. Like, Does, does that motivate you to ever go into um, on any, any sort of like helping work? Yeah. Like around that? Yeah. So one of my big things, I just don't know how I'm – it's one of my things that I'm currently thinking about and I have thought about for a long time is doing something to help others in going through alopecia and mental health, um, but definitely alopecia. I even thought about, I couldn't make a wig to save my life, but <laughs> thought about making wigs or selling wigs, but definitely more the side of helping mm. others like that are going through it. And talking to them about it. So, like, they've got the Alopecia Foundation and they've got, they do amazing things. But for me, I want to be able to talk to people, like, one-on-one and help them and be like, you're not alone. And especially younger girls because it does affect you at any age. So I could, like, for me, helping younger people as well as older people would be an amazing opportunity because I can be like, don't bottle it up. Mm. Don't – you've got to let yourself feel. You've got to do everything you can to go through this and just got to push through. Like, it's hard, but yeah. you've got to do it. What do you think are the next step forward for you in terms of, like, your personal personal growth? Where do you see yourself going? I think – this is a hard one. <laughs> you think about it, you're like – Actually, where am I going? Like it's harder. It's a harder question than it looks. Yeah. Because yeah, I think still being the happiest person I can be, because I can have a lot of like I've had a lot of issues, and I think going forward, staying happy is a big thing for me, where I'm just kind of in a place where staying happy. And being happy, loving myself, loving my worth 
is still a huge thing for me. Mm. And that's just something I don't want to lose again because, like, things might happen. At the end of the day, you can't control life. Yeah. Like, no one can control life. So um, being able to stay, like I said, stay happy is a big thing for me. What about relationships? How's How does that play out? See, I'm one of those people that I know my worth now. So because I let a lot, of, like not a lot, but like mm. I let men in and they didn't appreciate me for who I was. And I was putting my worth into them. Like I was accepting the bare minimum. So now I know my worth. It's relationships. I, it's a hard one because like I'd love a, like to have a boyfriend. I'd love to get married, like the whole shebang. But because I know my worth so much, it's not that I'm being picky. It's that the fact that I know what I deserve now mm. because I've gone through life. At, at 27, I've gone through more than someone will go through in their lifetime, when you, like when basically. Yeah. Um, and I've done the hard yards. I've done hospitals. I've done therapy. So when it comes to relationships, I've got a lot of, You've got a high standard. Yeah, I've got I do have a high standard. Like not because I'm up myself or anything like that. It's more that I the self worth that I've got now is so high that it's as it's hard actually for me to let people in. Mm, yeah. Like men to to let men in because I'm like I don't know. Well they can they can just you let the people into your life. They can have such a huge impact. Huge impact yeah. on the way you see yourself. So it's almost like it's like almost like being scared at the same yeah. time, which sounds crazy because my self worth is so high. What's the fear of what it could go back to? Yeah, exactly, and that's a big thing. Like I don't want to lose who I am and all the work that I've done on myself, mm. and I don't want to have to start from zero again. So. Letting someone in, I'm going to have to know, well, obviously you're not going to know like yeah. what someone's going to be like. And that's the great thing about relationships. You build on who you are and then you build together who you are. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like one of those things where you've just got to roll with the punches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last one here, which I'm really interested in. Yeah. Is do you feel like do you find it hard when you're really finding flow again in your life? Everything's becoming more positive. You almost forget the things that have you've experienced, the alopecia, all these things, and then you know someone might look at you funny or might make a comment, and then you're just like, oh for fuck's sake! It almost reminds you again. And do these like negative emotions come flooding back? Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> someone. I was out on a weekend and someone noticed my wrists and I've like self-harmed. So that's what, and like they're things that I have to deal with now. And someone looked at my wrist and they're like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, oh, did you have to like ask that? Like, mm. because like you shouldn't have asked to start with. Like, but obviously humans, they're going to ask questions. And like, even if someone looks at my hair funny, I'm still like, ooh, takes me back to like 15 years ago. Mm. And it does still affect me a lot, 
but not to the extremes. Like, it'll be like a passing, fleeting thing now. Yeah. It's not something that will take me down for months like it used to. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so much more positivity about how – not positivity about how people look at me, but in a way I don't take the negativi- negativity on board as badly as I used to. Yeah. Been been a riff of a chat and it has been a good chat actually. Yeah, I'm sure there's so much that people can get from that. Yeah, I f- I'm like one of those people that could just talk and talk. Yeah, so I just like probably go on like a ramp, like off on the spiral. Like <laughs> I'm like, does that even answer the question? No, <laughs> like of course. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And hey, thank you for ex- having me. Yeah, I'm excited to edit this and make a few reels out of this and yeah, get this out to the people. So yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on. No, good, thank you good for to meet you. Me. And you too. Thank you for listening. I'm sure there's something you can take out of this episode. If you want to see more Bruco Mode content, you'll find more of my socials in the show notes below. Thanks for listening again and see you in the next one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.